World Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copyvasta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepy Podsta, the Creepy Pasta Podcast. Hello. Welcome to this show. I introduced two shows in that same way. Uh, the other one's the Pokemon show that I, I'll say hello. This episode's about whatever Pokemon. Uh, but I don't do that. I don't immediately say what the episode's about on this one. Um, so I end up with this rambling intro where I don't know what to say. Um, well, how, how are you, audience? Oh, you can't answer. You're way there in headphones land. Or maybe you have it on your car speakers. I don't know. As long as you're not, like, on the subway listening to it through your phone speaker, because then you're making everyone else on the subway have a bad time. Don't do that. Don't do that ever with music or podcasts or anything. Get a pair of headphones. is like, $5. Well, probably cheaper, even, if you go to, like, a dollar store. I don't know. Anyway, uh, get headphones. Don't listen to this uh, a different way. Oh, if you're in your car, don't wear headphones while you're driving. That's a bad idea, too. I see people do that a lot. Don't do that. Uh, It's fine to play something loud over your car speakers, because then you can still hear cars crashing into you. But if you have headphones in, it is blocking the sounds of cars crashing into you from reaching your ears. So don't do it. Anyway, this is the Creepypasta Show. I'm the guy who hosts it. It's me, Jeff. Today's episode has last week's guests, because that's the same thing we do every time. Please welcome to the show, Patrick Rapol. Hi! And Regina Barry. Hello! And Patrick has brought us a brand new tale entitled Kill Screen by Chris Lewis Carter. Uh, and this was featured on episode number, what is it, 285 of the, uh, horror podcast Pseudopod, which I had never listened to before, um, but which does audio versions of spooky stories, and it is, uh, much in the mold of your, uh, your Ben's Drowned or your, um... Hales Luna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have we covered... Yeah, those. I guess those are the two haunted video game ones that we've yeah. covered. Um... But there's uh, there's one that I want to do Sonic EXE at one point, but it's really long and bad. Uh, there's Godzilla NES yeah, has Godzilla apparently NES, a creepypasta. Godzilla NES is what I wanted to bring, but that is also very long and bad, but still the best, <laughs> 1973. Yeah, it's hard to read a lot of creepypastas that are popular because they're very long. <laughs> like uh, Baraska, I only had them cover, well, I only had those guests cover one story because that it took like an hour and a half to talk about that huge story. <laughs> I, th- I think there is an intersection between the, uh, between the uh, inclination to like make a fan fiction about Super Smash Brothers, the longest work in English literature, uh, <laughs> and, and the creepypasta that just goes on and on and on and on. <sighs> so tell us about uh, tell us about Kill Screen, please. All right. So Kill Screen is not really a creepy pasta, but I find Kill Screen interesting because it is um, very much a it's a work of short fiction that is inspired by creepy pasta and sort of assumes the form uh, a little bit of creepy pasta 
and was, you know, explicitly inspired by Creepypasta on that episode of Pseudopod where I first heard this. The author shouted out uh, Ben Drowned and Pokemon Black creepy version. And he was, and the author, uh, Chris Lewis Carter, at the time, uh, this is way back in 2011, uh, he was a writer for video games. Um, so it was, I find, I found it interesting because it was published in 2011 and a lot of the early creepypastas I ever heard about sort of came around that time. So this might be one of the first non creepypasta works that was inspired by the phenomenon of creepypasta. Yeah, they explicitly mention on Pseudopod some other stories that inspired it, which I, I thought was interesting. Usually, uh, people, like, these authors will wear their inspirations on their sleeve without explicitly acknowledging it. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I think he wanted... I think this is so close to a Pale Luna or a Ben Drowned mm-hmm. that he wanted to, like, make everyone know that he wasn't trying to pass it, like, pass it all off as his own idea. Like, I, I think I think he might have been afraid of people saying, oh, you just ripped off whatever. Uh, and he wanted to get out ahead of it. Um, but it is a short story. Um, it is about a man named Daniel who owns a used video game shop. And um, a, a boy comes into the shop with a cardboard box full of discs and says, you know, I just moved to Baker Street. Um, my mom found this in the basement. We, ha- we have to get rid of it because my mom doesn't let me keep video games. She says they make you violent. And then Daniel uh, is sort of an insufferable main character, just does a large, loud groan and goes into this, (laughs) goes into this uh, sort of speech about how violent video games don't inspire violence. And by the way, the news is more violent. And by the way, he's very comic book guy. Yeah, he's very comic book guy. Like uh, later he'll be on a web forum, but like you can picture if this was a story from 2014 instead of 2011, it might be, it might as well have been Reddit. (laughs) Like, but um, so he looks through this cardboard box and it's mostly like America Online install discs, a, a lot of nonsense that isn't worth anything, printer drivers. Um, and he's just about to tell the kid, yeah, I, I don't need any of this. And then he sees a CD, um, an, a CD marked in permanent marker, and it says Mr. Plot's Bad Game. And he is a collector of obscure and rare games. Um, so he says, you know what? Fine, I'll give you five bucks for it. And the kid talks him up to ten. So he gives him ten bucks, takes the whole box home. Uh, he gets home, he starts, like, looking around on different forums, asking about Mr. Plot's, Mr. Plot's bad game. He can't find any info about it anywhere. Um, so he runs a bunch of virus tests on it, um, and when it run, reads free of viruses, he, it, he boots it up and he starts. Uh, when he installs it, it's starttheplot.exe, and there's a little, like, tombstone icon on his desktop. I'm going to be running, by the way, I'm going to be running through the story, because unlike a lot of creepypasta, this has sort of a full involved story that I just don't need to spend too much time on. Uh, so That's fine. he starts up the game, and then they ask him what his name is. He puts in his name, Daniel. Uh, a mini version of Chopin's Funeral March starts, and in the pseudopod version... Uh, which is a, you know, it's an audiobook version of the short story. You actually hear the sort of mini version throughout the whole thing. Um, it, it bothered me because it was just the part on loop. And yeah. it was also, it was mixed really poorly so that you couldn't really recognize it because the bass notes were too loud. Yeah. I like, I liked it. We, we can talk about that a little later, but like, I, I, one of the reasons I like this story so much is because of that presentation of it with that song, that constantly repeats, but I'll get into that a little bit. So he starts it up and he sort of describes it as looking like eighties sort of computer graphics. My, the way he describes the graphics in general, make me think like maniac mansion. 
Um, it's uh, it, it very much feels inspired by Maniac Mansion, yep. the game. Um, though some of the more violent things like might recall like uh, Chiller or something like the arcade torture shooter game. Um, but so he he finds the graphic. It's a it's sort of a spooky two story house with lightning cracking in the background, and he says it kind of it's unsettling. And then a uh, text appears on screen, and he says, "You are on a tragic quest to find the souls that cannot rest, trapped inside a bad man's home, made to suffer all alone. And if he catches you inside, it won't be long before you die. So run away with all you've got. There's no escaping, Mister Plot." Uh, and the sprite on screen kind of looks like Daniel. He he observes, but. Uh, he, he chalks that up to his imagination. So he tries to figure out the controls. He eventually uh, figures out a way to get to the door. And then when he tries to use the door, there's a message that pops up that says in blood and it warns him to go away. And he has a choice. Uh, he can choose between run away or go inside. And he chooses to go inside. And he sees the interior of the house. And again, like the way it's described, I just picture Maniac Mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that, that first in, indoor screen of Maniac Mansion. There's a door with a lock on it that he can't enter. There's a there's another door that has a lock and it has a keypad and it asks you to put in a code but he doesn't know the code so he goes past that so then he goes upstairs and there's an open door and he goes in that and when he enters the room uh, a text appears on screen it says something's here you can feel it and then you see uh this is again all eight bit graphics you see like a a, a ch- child in a bloodstained sort of dress on a bed with like blood coming out of her eyes. And then the text appears on screen and it says, My name is Sophie. Mr. Plot used to be a nice man. He would invite us over to play video games. If you want to know more, find my brother and sister. They're trapped in this house too. Please save them from Mr. Plot. Look at what he did to me. And then a realistic kind of shock image flashes on screen, complete with a very uh, uh, sort of loud digitized scream. And it's an image of a little girl in a blood-soaked blue dress, handcuffed to a bed, with her eyes ripped out. And the idea is, it looks like a, like a crime scene photo or something, and it is of a higher resolution than any of the game has been up to this point. Um, so at this point, Daniel wants to turn off the game, but his rationale is, well, there might be more evidence or something. This could be evidence of a murder or something terrible, so I'm going to play on and see if I can find more evidence to tell the cops about. Uh so CSI he, Daniel. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, <laughs> he, it's 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 the, the the least believable part of the story um, is not the sort of haunted video game. It is this guy being like, "Well, I better just keep playing," um, but he does so because that's how the story continues. So he gets a key from the little girl, and then he goes downstairs to the locked door. Um, he opens it up, and again, there's a kitchen with bloodstains all over it, which is from Maniac Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, almost like you can picture uh, Mr. Plot's bad game just being like a hacked ROM of Maniac Mansion. Um, so he uses the key, and then inside the kitchen, there's blood all over the place, and then the refrigerator's covered in bloody handprints. And when he opens the refrigerator, a bloody child with a gray rectangle sticking out of their head falls out. And text appears on screen, and it says... My name is Andy. One day, Mr. Plot told us about what a special about a special game he bought just for us. We weren't allowed to tell anyone, not even my mom. If you want to know more, find my brother. He's trapped in the basement, but you need a password to get in. I heard it has something to do with Mr. Plot's favorite victim. Please finish this. Don't let me end up like him. Don't let him end up like me. And then again, another digitized scream and a shock photos start appearing. And it's a series of photographs of this child being force-fed eyeballs, you presume, from the little girl from the previous scene. 
and then uh, the little the little boy being uh, stabbed in the head with a carving knife. Um, and at this point, Daniel says, "All right, I've had enough." So he tries to exit the game, and he can't. And a text appears on screen, and it says, "You can't leave. Mister Plot will be mad." So he resets his computer. It reboots and brings and just brings him back to the kitchen scene again. And the music's even louder now. And then a text appears on screen, and it says, "You shouldn't have done that, Daniel." Um, so he figures, "I can't." I can't quit this game. I just have to keep playing. He could turn off the computer as well, but uh, <laughs> but he decides he has to keep playing, so he does that. Um, so he goes back to the hallway. He goes to the door with the keypad, and the, as, as the little boy said, that the password has something to do with Mr. Plot's favorite victim. So first he tries the word Sophie, which is the name of the little girl in the upstairs bedroom, and that doesn't work. And then he tries Andy, which is the little boy in the kitchen, and that doesn't work. And he doesn't know what the password is, and then he figures out the password is his own name that he put in, Daniel. So uh, he puts in that password, and then he goes down into a basement, and again, he gets that uh, message, says, Something here, something's here, you can feel it. Um, and then there's a child sprite uh, shackled to a wall under a pool of blood, and another text pops on and says, My name is Alex. Mr. Plot kept us here for a very long time. He made us play bad games. When we didn't want to play anymore, he got real mad. We live at 342 Baker Street. Please take us home. I miss my mom. Uh, Baker Street being the the address of the kid who brought in the discs in the first place. And then that, yeah. that, at that point, the music stops, and he hears a digitized sort of cackling laugh. Um, and a text appears on screen, and it says, Mr. Plot is home now. You're in trouble now. And a character in all black appears, and his head is kind of gray and thin like a skull, and he's holding a carving knife. And then the funeral march starts again, but it plays backwards. And not like an, a, the audio file has been reversed, but the actual composition is just playing the notes backwards. Um, so the funeral march is playing, and it gets louder and louder, and Daniel wants to get away from his computer, but he can't. He's paralyzed with fear, and he can't breathe. Um and then Mr. Plot slowly moves towards his character. Daniel pounds on the keyboard. He tries to figure out any way he can get away, but there's nothing he can do. Mr. Plot uh, gets up to his character and stabs him. The character falls and then just sort of blinks and vanishes um, in the way like a character dies in Double Dragon or something. They vanish. <laughs> Mr. Plot then turns to the screen and starts laughing more. And you hear more of that digitized laugh. And the text appears on screen that says, I see you, Daniel. Then the monitor flickers and it goes back to the desktop, but his wallpaper has been changed to an image of his character with X's for eyes and red pixels splattered across the shirt. And his character is now the one shackled to the wall in a pool of blood. Next to him in blood are the words, be careful. And then when Daniel tries to reload the game, he gets the error message. Runtime error. You are dead. Something and then uh, another message appears on screen says something is here. You can feel it. Um, and the last thing he sees is a sort of shadowy flickering figure in the reflection of his monitor behind him. And then a knife sinks into his chest and he dies. Yeah. Uh, and it's um, <clears throat> it's uh, certainly a weird ending for this type of story. You usually don't see. Yeah, it's. It's in first person, much like a lot of this style of creepypasta, but usually the person doesn't uh, get stabbed to death at the end. Yeah, yeah, because then they can't go on to 4chan and say, let me tell you about this time I got stabbed to death by a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Um, here, I think this text version we have might be different really? than the audio one, um, because the text version just ends with 
uh, the printer printing out the sheet that says something is here, you can feel it. Oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah, so they must yeah. have done like a modified version for Pseudopod. That is a better ending. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I prefer a an ambiguous spooky ending. Yeah. Um. So, uh, this story was interesting to me for a couple reasons. One, uh, a lot of the spookiness relied heavily on the audio production, mm-hmm. which I thought was superb. But I did not. Uh, I thought the narrator just did merely a serviceable job, whereas the production behind his words was was pretty top notch. The like uh, horrible children parts and the screaming and the like d- distortions there were all really good, but uh, I don't. I didn't particularly like his reading of the story. Yeah, but the, uh, the voice act, the audio, uh, the voice actors they use on that show are sort of amateur voice actors. So yeah. it, it, that it's hit or miss. I agree. There's nothing yeah. wrong with being an amateur voice actor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Uh, I thought that this story was pretty good, but, um, it's, it's very predictable, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily a fault because like, if you know, it's a horror story, when you go in, you kind of know what to expect anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but like when the little boy mentions a favorite victim, I'm like, well, he's going to have to put, it's going to be his name. Yeah. It was like, uh, that felt really telegraphed. Um, oh, the fact that the character sprite looks like him, and he's like, well, I guess that's meaningless. <laughs> that felt a little like, okay, guy. Like, either just don't mention it or be freaked out by it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I liked this story. It's got a, it's got a lot of, um, crunchy bits, and it's very much like, uh, Video gamey. It's got all the good video game parts in it. Yeah, a lot of video game creepypastas are written by people who um, don't care about how video games work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you get stuff where it's like mm, you're reading it and you're like, mm, "That's no video game plays this way." But this one, uh, I'm like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, this is pretty much your uh, like, uh, yeah, like you said, Maniac Mansion or." It's so it's so simple that it's like a graphically beefier version of Atari Adventure. Yeah, if this was a if this was a um a more popular story because again it's not an actual creepy pasta so it doesn't really have the viral uh it didn't really get viral the way a lot of creepy pasta do. Mm-hmm. You can totally imagine someone on Congregate making a flash game recreation yeah. of Mr. Plot's bad game. It's it's funny that that you guys mentioned Maniac Mansion because um. That that is absolutely what came up for me in a really visceral way when we were listening to this to the to the pseudopod uh, version. So um, when I was uh, a kid, we always had a, my my dad was an engineer before he retired, and um, we always had a computer. Like I was born in the early '80s, and um, so I grew up playing like. King's Quest and like you know games for little kids like there was like there's like this Mother Goose game so like like and like every day on the computer but. Uh, when I went to school in like first grade, we would have, we had the, the computer bus, which was like this, like 
this like retrofitted school bus what? with with like computers in it. And I swear to God, this did was it drive bus. around or was it no, just like a parked bus? It, it was parked. It was parked like out by the playground behind the school. Okay, uh, so <laughs> someone turned a decommissioned bus into an arcade. Yeah, but yeah, basically. And, well, I mean, and I guess it was supposed to be like typing games and stuff like that. But when I was in first grade, I don't know, maybe. We weren't like ready for that or whatever, uh, so they had us. They gave us Maniac Mansion to play. Uh huh. Verbs. And <laughs> that game scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh, and especially um, like there's that one part in the beginning where um, Ed like like grabs one of your party members and throws them and locks them in the basement. Yeah. Terrified. Like like I like I like I got like super upset. I think I can remember like like the teacher like. Being like, okay, Regina, you have to be more quiet because, like, it was just like it was too much for me. And listening to that creepy pasta, like, I was back on that fucking school bus. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. You just- know, they they have they have those now. You can rent them for kids' parties where they just have like video game systems and sofas inside a big bus. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like a hundred dollars an hour. Oh, sure. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. This was like this was like benches and like. I mean, this was like the early '90s, so like the giant monitors. It was not. It was not fun. It was like the school doing what they could and, and fucking you know tiny. But man, Maniac Mansion instead of like a math blaster. Or yeah, something, that's, or like, that's yeah, something. or like Mavis Beacon typing or yeah. you know, fucking Maniac Mansion. Well, yeah, and the yeah, thing we is, just had Raider Rabbit. The thing <laughs> about this story is the scares are like it's very sort of splatterpunk kind of just like what's the most fucked up thing mm. I can imagine that pops up it's not like most creepypastas go the opposite route and they're just make you fill in the blanks right but the sort of like and then a super high res image of a like a real dead child yeah. who's been murdered in a horrible way like it's pretty uh, it's it's pretty desperate to shock you yeah but and so like those parts to me are less effective than the sort of headspace you get back into listening to this or reading it where you are imagining what you were like when you were a child playing eight bit games, and the amount of the amount of um, uh, suspend like disbelief you were willing to suspend, mm-hmm. and how much it felt like you were in those spaces, and how creepy those things could be. Yeah. Even if even if actually like the graphics were terrible and the controls weren't very realistic, Espe- and- especially um, that that scene in the basement where uh, Mr. Plot is standing uh, at the bottom of the steps and. Uh, Daniel trying to figure out what to do. That yeah. like engineered helplessness that you find in games. Yeah, sometimes or, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, be, I mean <laughs> it's very stressful. I, I was thinking of an equal, equally horrifying game, Ski Free. <laughs> when oh, the, right. With the little uh, monster he comes at me. Yeah, you can't get away from that monster. It's very scary. Yeah. Uh, I thought uh, the gross out parts were some of the creepy pastaiest parts. Oh, really? Because. Um, yeah, because there's a a genre of shock creepypastas that we've covered a couple on the show. Uh, I think Baraska fits by the end because it's a lot of uh, uh, overt sexual menace, I guess would be the polite way to put it. Um, and then, uh, like, Russian Sleep Experiment is one that has a lot of, like, poo-poo and pee-pee and self-mutilation. Um, but yeah, there is also, usually the haunted video game ones don't get into that. Uh, they just tend to stay spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, or something like, um, Squidward Suicide, which is a haunted SpongeBob episode. Um, it, like, evokes images of, like, 
the eyes look too realistic, which is sort of like weird creepypasta BS that, that yeah. gets pulled uh, a lot. Like, oh, the images are too high resolution. How, or how, how is my NES outputting this fidelity? It must be <laughs> Satan. <laughs> yeah. So this story pulls a little bit of that. Um, it doesn't do some of the worst stuff, which is like a character who's catatonic, uh, but then they like wake up and kill a bunch of people, or like a character who uh, refers to themselves as a god and they're murdering people. Um, but it does. Uh, it seems to intentionally evoke some of the the creepypasta tropes, which I thought was interesting because I think most of the time often will try to avoid those. Uh, we cover a lot of no-sleep stories, and uh, I think no-sleep stories tend to try to... There's a whole different set of tropes for those now, because they've tried to uh, step away from the the creepypasta stuff, and now every uh, no-sleep story you read is just basically Stranger Things fan fiction. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. Like, oh, when I was a kid, this spooky thing happened to me and all, all of my bicycle friends. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bicycle friends. Um, I don't know, we've all had we've all had our bicycle friends. As as the John William music swells. Yeah. Um there so the I, I so when I I used to listen to a lot of this uh podcast pseudopod um and cuz I used to deliver pizzas uh in Chicago and I delivered pizzas in the loop which is downtown. So I would be listening to a lot of these stories. A lot of them have like Lovecraftian overtones of like this sort of unknowable ancient evil lurking around. And it was always just like a fun sort of paranoid time driving around, mm -hmm. especially because at night the loop is kind of dead. So you just be driving around this like really huge buildings that no one is walking around at all. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's like, it's like being in a, in a giant maze or something. Yeah. And so it's, and so I used to love re listening to pseudopod in that context. And this episode really affected me because I put it on right in the middle of a long delivery. So I actually was able to finish it before I got there and I listened to it in one interrupted go. And yeah, the audio design that you mentioned was really um, good, but also I, I mean, this has probably just been discussed in all those video game episodes. Cause this is why those video game ones are so popular is everyone has played video games and just sunk so many hours into them that you, just suspend all your disbelief and then something weird happens that's not supposed to and instead of it being like ah look at this hilarious glitch like nowadays you see it and then it's like oh man I'm gonna post that to Twitter because in Assassin's Creed their faces didn't load and now they look like fucked up skull people <laughs> but like back then like if Mario's jump suddenly stopped working or something you'd be like what is happening what is happening this is no bad <laughs> Or like I was, I was playing Skyrim pretty intensely uh -huh. um, several months ago, and uh, there's like like this one quest where the NPC has like a Brooklyn accent, and it was <laughs> so weird and off. But you're the talking dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, like oh, the yeah. upsetting thing because they're because all of a sudden they're not like, oh, you're the Dragonborn. I took an arrow to the knee. Yeah, like, like all the Welsh accents disappear. Yeah, and yeah. suddenly you get like. Cabby from like a cartoon. Yeah, and I was like 
creeped out and I like didn't want to follow this NPC and yeah. do the quest because it was just like why are you talking like 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 my mom. I played uh, I played <laughs> where where in America is Carmen San Diego uh-huh. and me and my friend decided what if we just keep going the wrong direction what happens <laughs> and eventually they just stop giving you clues and then all the NPCs all the people you interview uh-huh. just like say non sequiturs. But the more non-sequiturs we read, the more sinister they began to sound, and all the NPCs have a version of them where they're just looking at you, like, with a side eye, like, why are you... Because they're supposed to be, like, you're totally wrong. Right. I'd never heard of Dirk Dastardly or whatever. <laughs> like, but, like, I don't know what the Liberty Bell is. Um, but, like, because they're just sort of, like, looking at you strangely and saying things that make no sense, it was the scariest thing. And then what happened was my dad's pager was on top of it. So, you know, it's the 90s. My dad's pager was on top of his dresser, and the computer was in my parents' room. And the pager went off, and it was vibrate. So, we, oh, were, so just, like, so we were really creeped out. And that it was a NPC had a line of dialogue that was about, like, a UFO. And we were like, what? What is in this game? Is there a UFO in this game? Are there aliens? What's happening? And then the buzzer, and then the the beeper went off, and we went, ah! And we ran out of the room. So like, I have these sense memories of those kinds of feelings playing games that it really is effective on me. So is the premise of that game that Carmen San Diego forgot to renew her passport, or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she wishes that you she could get you to chase her in Cairo, but actually she's in Des Moines. <laughs> but cuts. Like, just imagine fabulous jewel thief Carmen Sandiego, like, in a Des Moines airport. (laughs) She's stolen the world's largest ball of yarn. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, my spooky video game thing is just whenever Sonic is drowning and you uh, you turn oh, off your yeah. Genesis and stop playing for the rest of the day. Yeah, because that music <laughs> gets really, really upsetting. I can't, <laughs> I can't hear it anymore. Like, if if I hear that song anywhere, I'm like, I gotta turn the volume down until it's over. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. The other, the other thing I find interesting about Kill Screen is that it takes all these tropes, but it's very much a work of fiction. It's very much... Like I always thought of creepy pasta as like eh, it's they're just they're 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 told a different way but they're just the same as any other short story mm-hmm. but like re- do recording uh, the SCP episode and this back to back and like thinking about it there's a really fundamental differences in the ways that they're told um, and this having a protagonist and even having like the horror trope of the protagonist who's kind of an asshole and ignores the warning signs and gets his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Like in some ways this is yeah. like an EC comic or something like, yeah. Or, or an episode of tales from the crypt. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so oh, that makes sense. Tales from the crypt was an EC comic. Yeah, first, wasn't yeah. it? No, no, we're on the same wavelength, <laughs> but, uh, but the, the sort of seeing all of these creepypasta tropes inside of this very much short horror fiction tropes and seeing those clash against each other is interesting in the way that like, I didn't watch all the show, but the first episode of channel zero was kind of interesting in the way it tried to reconcile the two. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think the first main difference is the protagonist is given a name and the author is given a name and they are not the same name. Yeah. Um, which definitely restricts, also the fact that it's not just like on a guy's website, uh, restrict, uh, this story from having spread virally, um, and being presented as a true story the way so many creepypastas are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could totally see this having been, uh, on No Sleep, because you get a lot of No Sleep. Uh, we covered two stories on this show. I think one of them might have been on No Sleep that were like logs from a spaceship, and it's like, mm, we don't have, we don't have 
have a manned mission to Mars that discovered aliens. So, like, that's separated enough from reality. But, like, the whole conceit of no sleep is the you have to it's basically horror role play you have to pretend these stories are real uh, in the comments and everything oh interesting i didn't realize that yeah um yeah i feel like that was less obvious maybe a few years ago uh where it was just like it just seemed like people were posting spooky things that happened to them, but then they explicitly put in the sidebar, like, everything posted here is real, even if it's not, like, don't be a dick about it. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, this is, uh, hmm. let's, are we ready? I guess we're ready for spookiest parts, huh? Yeah, sure. Uh, Regina, what's your spookiest part of, of, uh, of Kill Screen? My spookiest part, well, definitely is in the Pseudopod episode, the sound engineering, especially that, like you said, that fucking loop of the funeral march where it's just like, like the first, I don't know, maybe eight to 12 bars and it doesn't, and it's just, it gets oppressive. And then there's the part in the story where like he resets his computer and you get maybe like 30 seconds of not hearing this and then it comes back with a vengeance and it's just like this crunchy midi file and it doesn't it's like it's like it's like the telltale heart of the 20th century yeah <laughs> that was like yeah by by the end it was it was really really on edge just because of the music and the other the other thing about it the music in video games especially in like 8 video games where the music is a 35 second loop yeah like they sink into your fucking soul because yeah, you're exactly. playing them for hours and hours and there are games that probably don't actually have good music but I will never ever forget uh, what the music in like a nightmare on Elm Street for the NES sounds like because <laughs> I, I played so much of it. That it is just in me, and I've had nightmares that have the title screen music from A Nightmare on Elm Street for the NES, <laughs> um, which is just this weird, like, atonal thing that's kind of more experimental than most uh, NES music games. So, like, yeah, the way the music seeps into you is really upsetting. Yeah, it's, um, the... I, that's part of why I wished that the, um, just the production on that little music clip had been a bit stronger, because that, uh, is a very uh, effective piece of horror to have spooky 8-bit music, um, because that is, like, most, for the most part, the most memorable part of any old video game. <laughs> like, when I think of the DuckTales theme song, I think of the 8-bit video game version, because it sounds way cooler than the actual cartoon theme song. <laughs> Um, Patrick, what's your spookiest part? So th this is, it's kind of whiffed at the end, but for the first part of this, when you're reading it, it feels like it's going to be more of a pale Luna thing where this is like a, a video, like a computer programmer who he like, he has built his confession into a video game he's made. And yeah. then you're seeing like photos he's taken and slipped into this game. And the idea is that, he is a real person who did this real thing, and not only did he murder those children, but he's going to go a step further and try to terrorize other people with his axe in, in like, the most unsettling way he can think of, which is, like, through this video game. Of course, then at the end, it turns out he is the Samara from The Ring, and he can just sort of yeah. appear when you want, you play it, and then it's, it's not... It's not quite as good. Again, it, it, it could have, if it had, I mean, I guess it does actually have the ending on the version on his website where it just prints out, uh, you know, something's here, you can feel it. Like, that is that is an effective non-supernatural ending to that. And the 
the feeling of his confession being in the programming these little kids to say help me Mm -hmm. is like really creepy. Like he made himself a video game boss. That's how that like in the in the sort of Hannibal world of like serial killer artists who who yeah. like are 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 you know uh, self-aggrandizing in in through their work. Like that that to him was the ultimate expression of I'm going to be the unkillable boss at the end of this video game. Um, yeah, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet if Hannibal season one had been uh, twice as long, one of the one of the people would have been a programmer who made a, a confession in a video game. That's, they would have to because they were because by the end of Hannibal season one, they were like he made a car out of dead bodies and the gas is blood. Like it's, that show got ridiculous. He cut their he bodies looks- into cubes. They look like. Yeah, um, I I thought that this story's name was very generic. Kill screen. Well, first off, this game doesn't have a kill screen. That's true. That refers to a looping uh, arcade game that has some sort of procedurally generated um, difficulty increaser. Like um, the timer gets uh, shorter, or the enemies get faster, um, and the kill screen is the ga- is the uh, level of the game that is physically impossible to beat, like, because the timer has gotten too short, or because the enemies have gotten too fast. Uh, I think the counter in Pac-Man, like, whatever counts the levels gets too high, and so the screen glitches out. Um... In Donkey Kong, your time limit is too short to get to the top of the level. Uh, this is the kill screen. In this game, uh, it's sort of a pun on that, but I think a much better title for the game would be my spookiest part. Uh, the title of the game in the story, Mr. Plot's Bad Game. That's a great name for the game and would have been a great name for the story. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, it's like it's so like oh, just it's the it's a bad game like yeah. like bad not in the sense of low quality. You can tell uh, that it means it like oh, you don't want to play this. Like this is evil. <laughs> this game is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially considering that the, that the kids talk about like oh, he we play video games at his house and like oh, we played games that he, you know that we didn't want to play anymore and like. Yeah, so it's yeah, really he made us that. play bad games. Yeah, like, what, yeah, yeah. what was he making them play? Right. Like, it probably wasn't E.T. for the Atari 2600. <laughs> yeah. but. Oh, man, we, we had to fly through those rings as Superman. It was awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, also, like, I don't know if in, I don't know how much he was thinking about SEO. But if it was if it, if you said Google kill screen, this this short story will not appear in the first probably 20 pages mm-hmm. of results. If you Google Mr. Plot's bad game, it comes up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I when I was Googling, I was like, kill screen, creepypasta, nothing. And then I was like, oh, let me type in, yeah, Mr. Plot's bad game, it shows up immediately. And that's how I found the text version. Um, so yeah, that's... Uh, that's uh that's all we have to say about Kill Screen, aka Mr. Plot's Bad Game, the better the alternate title sure. that I decided the story title. is called. Yeah. <laughs> the fandom uh, the fandom refers to it as Mr. Plot's Bad Game. Of course, yeah. Or uh just uh MPBG. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was mm-hmm. hard to get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh let's get to our plugs. 
Uh, Patrick, where can the people find you on uh, the internet in the ways you would like them to? Well, the way I would like them to, don't find my secret places, uh, but in the <laughs> way I would like them to find it, I'm the host of two podcasts. I host a uh, weekly um, film chat show called Popcorn Supper. Um, that's on the Now Playing Network, nowplayingnetwork.net. Um, and then I'm also the host of a seasonal podcast, which is returning in July, called Tracks of the Damned. Um, which is a horror movie commentary track podcast. And every episode is a commentary track for a different horror movie. And I cover everything from Oculus, which came out a couple years ago, to Dr. X, uh, which is the first color horror film that came out in 1932. Um, Uh And it's a lot of uh, facts. It's film criticism. It's jokes. It's uh, lighthearted. I cover the whole Scream series. It's it's fun. And uh, I think people uh, would like it um, if they if they want to give it that a shot. And Regina, where can the people find you and your homes online? I uh, I am on Twitter at Tesseract, T-E-S-S-A underscore R-A-C-K-E-D. Um, I also write a blog called Consistent Panda Bear Shape, which is a film blog about fat characters. Um, if I have written by the last episode my, my, my blog piece on Magic Mike, then I've definitely still written it this week. Uh, so read it. Yeah. Um, also, if you like Patrick and I, our fun rapport, um, I am on the Scream 3 and Scream 4 episodes of Tracks of the Damned. You could find me, of course, in the usual places. J3FK on Twitter, Jeff J- Jeff JK on Instagram and Snapchat if you need to see photographs of my cat. Uh Go to patreon.com slash jeffjk. Give me $1 a month to get more. I'll, I'll probably read... Um, uh, two uh, two creepy pastas this month because that's the easiest thing. Sometimes I'll uh, put my phone uh, in the little the little nook under my car radio and ramble about video games on my long commute home. Um, but I I think that uh, people have heard enough of my opinions about Zelda that I might not do that this month, but who knows. Uh, Let's mm, all go to iTunes and give this show five stars, okay? Thanks, guys. Uh, Let's also... Why am I starting every sentence with let's? I don't have anywhere to go with another let's. That's it. That's all I have to say. That's... This is is the show. Um, uh, Something is here. You can feel it. (laughs) 